Okay, so anyway, so we're so we're talking about providence and talking about different things, but I mean the God of universe the God of the universe providentially begins to weave together your uh, the series of things and we looked at that and I won't fill in those blanks if you have notes from last week you can get those blanks last year but just as he works his way through all this chat this this book um, he's accomplishing uh, some important things but if you turn over to first Peter chapter 5 for just a minute I just want to read this verse and then kind of start a new section. I know you're all familiar with this passage, First Peter chapter five, verse six. It says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due times. So that's what he's doing with Esther here. He's about to he's at the point where he's exalting Esther, he's exalting Mordecai, uh, and the things that are happening is uh, he's 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 do he's accomplishing some things. So the focus in our minds in studying this book of Esther really if you think about when you when you think about Esther, you think about everything that you know about Esther, we kinda don't we typically kinda focus on the first maybe let's just say six, seven chapters kind of focus on everything that's taking place there. Uh, that's usually what we kind of look at. Um, you know, and we talked a lot about those and a lot of things that, are, that have gone on in those chapters. Although in the remaining portion, chapter 8, 9, 10, and 10 is really short. If you ever know, it's like five, no, what, four, three, four, three or four verses. pretty short. Um, so... Um, So the remaining part of this book, there's a lot of points of difficulty. This gets a little bit complicated here. What's going on? What's happening? What is God doing? What is God doing with Esther? What is God doing with Mordecai? All the things that are happening. What's what's happening with all the people here? So, so we've seen how, by the special providence of God, a poor orphan girl uh, was exalted to the dignity of being queen of Persia at a time when her people were exposed to great danger. It's almost ironic when you think about it, that that the people, the Jewish people are about to be executed, yet a Jewish orphan rises up to a, a level of power that... How, how, can you, how, can you, how can you quantify God doing such a thing as that? That's providence. That's Him. He moved in a way to accomplish a, a specific thing. So we've seen how... By his providence, uh, this girl is, is elevated up. We've seen how her relative, Mordecai, uh, to whom she owed a lot, she owed a lot to him. She actually owed her life. You know, she didn't think about God. You know, you never see her uh, giving God credit for anything, but uh, she really trusted Mordecai. She listened to what Mordecai said. She followed his in obedience. She was willing to listen to him. Uh, she owed a lot to him. When he had been doomed to a to a death, even in even in the the point where he was he was going to be killed too. Remember, uh, Haman wanted him executed, and he built a built a uh, a gallows out of, at his own house just to execute Mordecai. It's, yet hey, uh, Esther still listened to what Mordecai was saying, the instruction that she that he was giving to her. So we have further seen how the wicked Haman, whose his desire could only be satisfied by the annihilation of an entire race. Not only did he want to kill Haman because he was he was disrespected, he wanted to kill all the Jews because he was disrespected. And so, 
the whole nation of Israel received the doom which he merited by being hanged upon the gallows which he had erected for Mordecai. That's, that's such an ironic thing there too. That's God's providence. God moving in a way, you know, okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to attack God's people. And God says, no, you're not. You're, you're going to suffer under your own desires. And the same thing that you wanted to have happen is going to happen to you. So we see what happens to Haman. Uh, his desire could not be uh, satisfied by the annihilation of the human of a, of a, uh, the Israel, the race of Israel. Uh, he received the doom which he had merited by being hanged upon the gallows. And uh, so we had an opportunity to trace all of that back to God's hand clearly as he was moving. So now in this last chapter, uh, in the last chapters of this book, we're going to have a mark. We have to mark the consummation of the series of the incidents and kind of tie it all together and what's happening here, uh, which secured for the Jewish people deliverance and enlargement. Because that's what happened, right? At the end of everything, Israel is secure and they've been delivered. Okay, so in verses 1 to 14, which we've already read, uh, in the first two verses, God, or the king, the first thing that happened is the king gave Haman's house to Esther. Um, verse 1, On that day did King Hazarus give the house of Haman, the Jews' enemy, unto Esther, the queen. So, when you look at verses 1 and 2, it says, Oh, that that day did the king Hazarus give the house of Haman, the, the Jews' enemy, unto Esther, the queen. Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told what he was to her. So basically, she's like, let me introduce you to my uncle. Let me introduce you to the guy that's been taking care of me. And... Uh, and the king took off the ring which he had given to Haman, so he took it off of his hand, and he gave it unto Mordecai, and Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. So what does that mean, set Esther set Esther over the house of Haman? So she became his inheritor, or her his what's there's another word that's not inherit I'm looking for. Um Executor. Well, I guess you could say executor, but she became his. Uh, that's just right there. Beneficiary. Beneficiary. All of those words mean the same thing. But basically, she became. She she received everything that was Haman. She inherited. Uh, heir. Heir. That's the word I was looking for. Thank you. Heir. So the changes that were here recorded in this chapter, the advancement of certain parties at the expense and the ruins of others who had been immediately before the, in possession of the large influence and wealth and dignity, all of that, all the things that are common occurrence in, in a government like this, the will of the king being arbitrary and his rule of action being... We don't think about the king's action being arbitrary. He's the king, but he didn't really have a whole lot to say about what was going on. He didn't feel like he's, he's an example in certain ways, but he didn't do anything other than God do, God used what he did to accomplish his will. And so, the will of the king, it was an arbitrary rule, his rule of action being usually nothing else than his own fancy or the impulse of the moment. The person whom he most trusts for the time can turn turn him to his own purposes. Isn't that what happened with 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 uh, Haman? He turned the king's purposes. He he, he kind of manipulated, and so you know he said, "Okay, I, I like you. I'll I'll do what you want," and that's kind of what's going on here. So, but um, but Esther Esther had a request. She did not ask for Haman's hope. She didn't ask for Haman's hope. She didn't ask for Haman, Haman's house. She didn't want anything to do with Haman. She just she just 
she had two requests, right? Her petition was let let her life be given to her, and and let her her people be given to her. The life of her people be given to her. So in verses three to eight, her petitions and her requests. So we talked a lot about this last week in the position that Esther takes in her in her petition to the king. The subject of the petition to the king was life. And it mirrors the affectional intercessory prayer. We talked about intercessory prayer last week, First Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. It says, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercession, and the giving of thanks be made to all men. The prayer rested on sacrifice, for which she recognized herself as a sacrifice. She saw that it was her responsibility to do something. It's the thing that we should see about ourselves to save the, save the lost world. It's our responsibility. If we want to see the world saved, we need to do, we need to step up and act. We need to do something. We need to put ourselves in a sacrificial position, um, like she has done. The prayer was intercessory, declaring the Jews as her people, not even the king's people. She said they're my people. She didn't even say they're your people. Save your own people. Although she did imply that later on, um, but she would not separate herself from her people. There. I'm Jewish, they're Jewish, save my people, which ends up saving me as well. And then we get verses 5 to 7, where the significance of the king's response and the king, uh, his, his behavior, how God defends Israel's... Now this is kind of tied back to Isaiah chapter 65 and 66, and we're not going to take a deep plunge into Isaiah chapter 65 and 66, but these are connected. What's happening in, in Ezra... This 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 is tied, and I'll, I'll give you a few verses here to reference. So the king gave her Haman's house, not the residence, but his descendants, his title, his role in the kingdom, making her the the heir and the controller of all Haman. Um, everything that he had control of, she got it. She got everything. She became the second in, in command of the of the of the kingdom, just like Haman was. He was in charge of everything. And she got everything. The king held out his scepter, which reflected his permission to take action as she felt necessary and to remind her of a significant truth. And that is this. Um, what she says in verse 8, how can I endure to see the, to see the evil come unto my people or how can I endure to see the destruction of my kindred? She didn't want to see that. That was her desire was not to see that. But, but when he held out the scepter, he's basically saying, you have the authority now to do something about it. We have the authority to do something about it too. God has raised his scepter to us. Every time he wants us to open our mouth and tell somebody about Jesus Christ so they can get saved. He's held on, he's holding out his scepter. Will we touch this? Will we put our hands on that scepter? Will we do something with it? Will we will we obey what God is is telling us to do? The lesson out of all of this is really that the removal of wicked from the world does not uh, all at one is not and the the lesson from this is that the removal of wicked from the world does not all at once remedy the evils that are planned and perpetuated against us. Now think about that. Sometimes there's evil against us, and it just doesn't go away. It's always going to be there. Most of the time, we could say this: the evil which men do lives after them. The evil that men do lives after them. And that's where we're at right now. Haman's evil against her, against the queen, against Mordecai, against Israel, 
That was still there. The law, she couldn't change the law. He, the king couldn't change the law. The evil is still hanging out there. The, remember when he wrote the letter and he sent it out to all the provinces everywhere? That letter's still out there. The king uh, allowed his, his seal from his ring to be uh, stamped on that letter. That evil is still out there now. So what do we do about that? In the case before us, Haman had suffered the penalty due to his crimes. Okay, that's one thing. We'll get rid of the guy that started this problem. Uh, that's what God is dealing with. He take care of that. Um, but still, the royal decree for the destruction of the Jews, which had been deceitfully gotten uh, of the king's authority and sealed with his ring, had remained in full force. And Esther knew this. And what she's asking him is, change the law. Change the law. So, it's one of the most interesting traits in the character of this princess that in the midst of the grandeur and the dignity by which she saw herself surrounded and, the, and, the, and her never allowing herself to be carried away by such feelings of pride and, and self-importance as, as would have feel, filled the minds of most of others in her place. We kind of would have taken it like this. Well, I, I'm second in command now. I've, I've got Haman's position. I'm going to do this. And she never thought that way. She never, she never considered it from that perspective. She, she looked at what, okay, well, what, what can, what can, what can be done, and how can God get the glory for it? Let's not forget that what is in the past in her history, for it comes in at this point to illustrate her present feeling and conduct. Although the reference to it is only a repetition of what's already been said, and so. When she was taken from the house of Mordecai, think about this. She got basically extracted from Mordecai's house, right? It was like the king wanted all the all the young virgins, and so she had to go. But she just kind of got extracted there. When she was taken out of the house of Mordecai, there was nothing for the family of Haman. Uh, she she wasn't promised that she was going to get that if she if she obeyed the command. So when the crown. Um, she had the crown put on her head. She was still as submissive to Mordecai's commands in whatsoever way they reached her. So she knew that she was going to die because of the command that had been, had been written. And so when the crisis came, which rendered it necessary for her in compliance with his admon- admonition, uh, everything, even life itself, for the safety of her people, she made three... Uh, she made she made she she took action so there's three things i want to draw from what what has happened so far uh first off we cannot miss to see in this story that there is unnecessary i'm sorry there's an uncertainty of life to have impact in a significant way for others esther knew that that she had the opportunity to do something that would save other people we should be able to see that as well. We should be able to know that there's things that we can do that we can step into a way to see people uh, impacted significantly for Christ. Uh, let me just, well, I could probably give you a whole list, but let's just say every, every ministry opportunity we have in this church is a way for us to step into a way to get involved in somebody that needs to know Jesus. Okay, that's the first thing. We cannot miss to see the story in this story that there's an uncertainty of life to have impact in other people's lives. We should have an impact in other people's lives. The second thing we're going to take from all of this is whatsoever station in the providence of men, we are called to fulfill our roles. 
uh, it's important. Uh, what we do is important um, because it benefits God to to others. So basically, what I mean by what you do. You're the conduit for people to get to know Christ, to get to know God, to see God. You're the conduit. Don't 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 shut that off. Let God work through you, so God can see people, so people can see God through you. And the third thing is that there are many examples in this story of deeds performed by others uh, that saved many. Mordecai, remember Mordecai did something, and he saved the king. And he, he stopped the, the assassination attempt. Um, so the same is written about Messiah, isn't it? <clears throat> about Jesus Christ. Uh, especially in Isaiah chapter 65 and 66. Um, the Messiah's response to the intercession of the watchman that we read about in Isaiah. The watchman is calling out and warning people. Um, the Messiah's response to the intercession of the watchman, the wondrous promise that God will one day create a new earth, a new heaven, as the home of the righteous. That's that inheritance. All along this, uh, this story, uh, we see Ezra, uh, Esther, where she has cherished towards the protector, her Mordecai, of her infancy. And when, she, and when he, Mordecai, had taught her to extend to the whole nation, remember, he had to encourage her to do something. He had to say, you, you know, you're, you're, uh, you're, you have a special position, you have a special place, and you need to do something. And so, if it wasn't for him, uh, she would. I don't. I, I don't know if she would have thought about Israel, and the, her people. I don't know if she would have thought about that if somebody hadn't have said, "But what about all of those that are about to die? What about all the people?" When she was raised to her exalted place and surrounded by the fascination of the royal state and the power and everything that was going on there, the castles, the the palace, everything, and waited on as if she had been a superior being by the menials to whom her look was was law, um, we see all that in Isaiah 65 and 66. Well, we won't take there and read. That's a lot of reading to do. So Isaiah wrote Isaiah chapter 65 to teach Israel that the Messiah is coming to judge sin and punish rebellion but he will save a faithful remnant and create a new heaven and new earth. Look over Isaiah chapter 65, verse 18. Please. But be ye glad and rejoice forever in that in that which I create for you. Behold, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing, and her people a joy. Now, Paul references passage in Romans chapter ten, verses twenty and twenty-one. He says in Romans, But Isaiah is very bold and saith, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked me not after me. 
But to Israel he saith, All day, all day long I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. So in the end of Isaiah, Messiah is going to judge sin, every act of infidelity, every secret murder, every bribe, every dictator, every genocide, every robbery, every lie, every sin. He's going to judge all of those things. The only way to avoid being judged is to appeal to the judge, the just judge. How are you going to get past all of that? You've got to go to Jesus. He has provided a way where there is no way, and He Himself is that way, that, that truth, that life. And maybe you have not been looking for Him, but, but He has been looking for you. Praise the Lord for that. And Jesus has been looking for us. In the end, Messiah will save a faithful remnant. Um, if you look at, in Isaiah 65 again, verse 8. But now, O Lord, Thou art our Father, we are the clay, and Thou art our potter, and we will all, and we all are the work of Thy hand. <clears throat> So there's no fear in the declaration of her petition or her request, nor in the declaration of the reason or the identity of who's who's attempted to destroy the bride and the, and the king of the king. So we see Ezra's intensity, a very calmness, and a very courageous action in strict strict conformance with the with the people plan for salvation. She spoke strong language, but at any rate, it's open and honest and above board. No whispering into the king's ear. No secret promise. <clears throat> Excuse me. No secret uh, plotting to supplant the the prime minister. Every word is uttered in the man in the man's hearing and to his face. And then, uh, then in verses nine, oh, I'm sorry, that's not the right place. I need to be. So, so we have chapter eight, which which has uh, a lot going on. But then chapter nine follows up on this, and we'll we'll pick this up. Next week or a week after, I'm not sure when. Um, when in, in chapter nine, verses one to ten, we have a great revenge, and in chapter nine, um, verses twenty to twenty-two, we have a great remembrance, which is the Purim feast, and we'll talk about the Purim feast and the purpose of all of that and what that represents for us. So let's wrap up this chapter here on verses fifteen to seventeen. There's a huge reversal of the king's laws. I find it interesting that that. He didn't reverse the law, but he allowed for, he tolerated a law that would circumvent the first law to to render it ineffective. So while the last section in verses 3 to 14 was about the intercession of Esther, uh, these next, these last few verses of chapter 8, um, they don't formally reveal the king revoking his own laws, for even the king wasn't allowed to do that. He couldn't. That, that's pretty powerful law that, that the king can't change his own law. You know? Um, so anyway, so no man, king, or otherwise could overrule the law, yet this is kind of an overruling of the law. It's, it, you know, it just kind of puts, it in, puts the old law against... It's God's law fighting... Well, I shouldn't say God's law, but it's, it's the king's law doing battle with his own law. So the king did not, he did allow something else to be done, and that was to contradict the effect of the first law. 
Verse 15, Mordecai departed from the king and dressed in kingly apparel. Look, let's read verse 15 real quick. Chapter 8, verse 15. <clears throat> and Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal apparel, blue, white, and with great crown of gold, with garment of fine linen and purple. And the city of Shushan rejoiced and was glad. The Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor. And in every province in the great city, wherever the king's commandment and his decree came, the Jews had joy and gladness, a feast, a good day. And many of the people of the land became Jews, for the fear of the Jews fell upon them. So this is really, it's what a turning of events. What a real amazing turn of events. Think about yourself for a minute. You were under, before you got saved, you are under condemnation of, uh, of sin. Right? You, your, your destiny was hell, separation from God. Yet God created a new law that overrode that law that says you can be saved. All you had to do is believe on my son Jesus Christ. It's just an incredible and amazing thing, I think. And so Mordecai did not want to flash his use of the authority, so he departed from the king. Uh, he did what he did want to communicate a high important need. Uh, that these are, these are what he wanted to tell the, tell the, everybody in the kingdom that the Jews must gather themselves together for support and strength. Okay, so just think about that. He's speaking to the church because the church needs to rally together. Now, the Jews must gather themselves together for support and for strength. The Jews must stand together and to fight against the enemy, destroying, slaying. Uh, just, just, let me read that again. To fight against the enemy, destroying, slaying, and causing to perish, and to take the spoil. Those were what he basically said when he wrote his letter. And I find it interesting that the decrees followed the same path as the, as the, the, as the decrees to, that Haman wrote. Sentenced at exactly same people. They were found in the recipients towards Haman's letter, but um, they needed to go to the Jews. Now, this, this, this isn't, let me read this again. Um, see where it's at here. Verse 17 In every province and every city, wheresoever the king's commandment and his decree came, the Jews had joy and gladness, a feast, a good day, and many of the people in the land became Jews, for the fear of the Jews fell upon them. So it went to, it, it went, I don't have it noted here, but it went to the, the leaders of the provinces, it went to the, the, uh, the government leaders, it went to the military leaders, it went to all of these people. And then those people had to go tell the Jews, this is, the, this is God. He said, go tell the Jews that you get to fight against me when I come to kill you. <laughs> because Haman's, Haman's command was, send this letter out to all the leaders of all the provinces, all 127 provinces all over, the, all over the kingdom, and tell them that they should go kill the Jews. Now, Haman's, uh, Mordecai sends another letter and says, Oh, by the way, go tell those Jews that they can defend against you. That's that's just that's God. I, I think it's just such it's it's almost comical. Um, you know. Uh, okay, I'm going to come and kill you. Choose your weapon. <laughs> so anyway, so that's kind of what happened here. God God allowed the circumstances of of um, the the dinner the, the the lunch to accomplish this to move in we looked at last chapter to to move in in uh, in Ezra and in Mordecai to accomplish God uh, being being our protector.
to being the example of our protector. Um, okay, so I'm going to finish up there. We're about done. So um, <clears throat> let's go ahead and pray, and we'll be finished up here. Father in heaven, Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this this example in our passage, Lord. As we as we study this out, I pray, Lord, that every one of us be able to uh, see just how you move in our life and how you move, how you want us to move, Lord. I pray that every one of us would be somebody like Mordecai and uh, and somebody like Esther, that we would declare the truth, that we would uh, band together, Lord, that we would accomplish uh, serving together, to minister together, to to be the protector of the lost, to be the protector of those that are um, that are subject to to death, that we could give them the word that they need to hear, they might choose life. I pray, Father, for this morning, Lord, as Brian preaches, that you would speak with him, speak through him, use, uh, use HBF according to your will, and use our life according to your will. In Jesus' name, amen.